0: With so much at stake, so much on the line, more Americans turn here than any place else. ABC News, World News Tonight with David Muir.
1: We have made it through another week together. America's most
0: watched program across all of television. It's being called the most consequential election of a lifetime. The most important vote. And with so much on the line, it demands the most straightforward news-making, real answers. The most informed voices from all sides. The countdown is on to the vote. What will our future look like? ABC's This Week with George. It all plays out right here every Sunday. The most consequential week yet of this hyper-political year. Right as you get closer to casting your vote, every Sunday on ABC.
2: Good evening from the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. Our Town Hall with Joe Biden starts
0: right now. This is an ABC News 2020 event special.
3: Let's stand up and vote and take back this country now.
0: With an ongoing pandemic, a Supreme Court vacancy, economic uncertainty and racial injustice dominating this election, final voting is just 19 days away tonight. Voters in a key battleground state put their questions directly to former Vice President Joe Biden. Can he seize the moment and secure their vote? Live from the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia, this special edition of 2020, The Vice President and the People. Now reporting, Chief Anchor George Stephanopoulos. Welcome to our town hall with Joe Biden, Mr.
2: Vice President. Welcome to you. Good to be with you. We're here with a group of Pennsylvania voters. You can see they're all appropriately socially distanced <laughs> tonight. And they're yeah. a group of, some are voting for you. Some have said they're voting for President Trump. Some are still undecided. And we're going to try to take questions from as many of them as we can okay. tonight. And we're going to start with Nicholas Fedden. He's from Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. That's close to here here in Philadelphia.
3: No well.
2: You're a Democrat. I am a Democrat. Thank you, George. Mr. Vice President, uh, every day my wife and I are in disbelief at the lack of coordinated federal action on COVID 19. We know that your administration would follow the science. My question for you is two parts.
4: First, looking backwards to when this country first became aware of COVID 19, what would following the science have meant in terms of actual policy? And then, looking forward, what would your administration do in terms of following the science with real concrete policies that haven't been done by the current administration?
3: Well, first of all, going back, uh, the fact is that the president was informed how dangerous this virus was. And uh, all the way back in the beginning of February, I argued that we should be keeping people in China And we had set up in our administration a pandemic office within the White House. There were 44 people on the ground. I suggested we should be seeking, and I didn't hold public office. I was a former vice president. I suggested we, in fact, ask to have access to the the source of the problem. And the best of our knowledge, Trump never pushed that. All those 44 people came home, never got replaced. In addition to that, I pointed out that I thought in February, I did a piece for USA Today saying, this is a serious problem. Trump denied it. He said it wasn't. We later learned that he knew full well how serious it was when he did an interview with George Woodward. I mean, excuse me, Bob Woodward, and at the time, uh, he said he didn't tell anybody because he was afraid Americans would panic. Americans don't panic. He panicked. He didn't say a word to anybody. Then I wrote a piece in March about what I thought we should be doing to take hold of this using the—there's the, the, an act that passed a long time ago that allows the president to go into a business and say, stop making this and start making this that and it took a long time for him to even institute that to get ventilators and so on. And so the point was he missed enormous opportunities and kept saying things that weren't true. It's going to go away by Easter. Don't worry about it. It's going to all, when the when when the when the summer comes, it's all going to go away like a miracle. He's still saying those things. Mr. Before you go to the future, can I follow up on, the, on looking backward
2: just a little bit? You did have an op-ed in January where you warmed to the seriousness of the pandemic, but there's no record of you calling for social distancing, limited
3: social gatherings, mandatory not back then in january february no in right. january february no that's correct there wasn't that came at the end of march and then i laid out a detailed plan relative to school openings in in june and july and i uh, talked about by that time the science was becoming clearer and clearer of how this was spreading so rapidly but the president kept denying that if you notice from march on i stopped doing big meetings, I started wearing masks, you know, so it was at a time when the science was saying, and his key people, Dr. Fauci, were saying, you should be taking these precautions. So what we should be doing now, there should be a national standard, instead of leaving this up, remember what the president said to the governors, well, they're on their own, That's not my responsibility, the governors can do what they need to do, not my responsibility. It is the presidential responsibility to lead and he didn't do that he didn't talk about what needed to be done because he kept worrying in my view about the stock market he worried if he talked about how bad this could be unless we took these precautionary actions then in fact the market would go down and his barometer of success the economy is the market thirdly what we didn't do is the president uh... had an opportunity to Open and allow schools and businesses to stay open if they got the kind of help they needed. So the Congress passed a couple trillion dollars worth of help, and what happened was most of that money, significant portion of that money, went to the very wealthiest corporations in in the country, didn't get to the mom and pop stores. So you had one in five, one in six uh, minority businesses closing, many of them permanently, people being laid off. And then what happened was when the first tranche of uh, the first round of money, for unemployment, enhanced unemployment passed, went went, uh, went by he didn 't do anything he didn 't do anything. And to the best of my knowledge, and I mean this sincerely, I can't think I've been around for a lot of presidents, and you know a lot of presidents, in a crisis. I don't ever remember one never calling the House and Senate Republicans and Democrats together. Let's let's look forward a little bit. You said that you would lock down the economy only if the scientists said it was necessary. Well, by the way, that wasn't the context. They said, would I lock down the, 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 the economy if science said so. I said I'd follow science. What I, But I don't think there's a need to lock well, down.
2: But I want to press you on that point. That sure. You, you, you've been in the Oval Office for eight years with President Obama, he would always say that only the only the hard-to-solve problems yep, get to his get desk. What is most likely to happen is the scientists will disagree. The scientists will disagree with the economists. So the question is, how are you going to decide this? Who are you going to listen to? And how can you can contain the pandemic without crushing the economy?
3: Well, you can contain the pandemic by being rational and not crush the economy. For example, I laid out a plan how you can open businesses. You can open businesses and schools if, in fact, you provide them the guidance that they need as well as the money to be able to do it. What's happening now is we know, for example, if you can open a business and you could have a sign on the door saying safe to come in, that's why people aren't going anyway, even when they're open, and say, because you have social distancing, you have plastic barriers, when you go to the cashier, you have separators between the booths, you don't have large crowds, you reduce the size, the number of people you can have in the restaurant, you make sure there's testing, that's in a really critical piece that he didn't do, testing and tracing, and you make sure that people are, acqu- Equipped, going to schools. You know, we initially said, the government initially said they're gonna provide masks for every student and every teacher. Then they said, no, 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 no. FEMA said, that, uh, that, the, the president or whomever said, no, no, that's not a national emergency. Not a national emergency. We need fewer, we need more teachers in our schools to be able to open smaller pods. We need ventilation systems changed. Well, there's a lot of things we know now. And I've la- I laid them out in some detail. Now, again, when I say I laid them out, I'm not an office holder. I'm running for office. It's not like I'm still vice president or I was a, a United States senator pushing this. So I don't want to say I, I, I. But we did lay out exactly what needed to be done. And take a look. We make up 4% of the world's population. We have 20% of the world's deaths. We're in a situation where we have 210-plus thousand people dead. And what's he doing? Nothing. He's still not wearing masks and so on. We're getting some other questions on COVID. The next one
2: comes from Kelly Lee. She's from Philadelphia. Thank you. Republican, uh, voted for Donald Trump in 2016, undecided now. Hey, Kelly. How are you? Hi, Mr. Biden. My question is about the coronavirus vaccine or potential. Uh, Senator Harris stated that she absolutely would not take a vaccine from President Trump. And of course, we all know it's not President Trump that would create this vaccine, it would be doctors and scientists that presumably we all trust. So my question for you is, if a vaccine were approved by between now and the end of the year, would you take it? And if you were to become president, would you mandate that everyone has to take it?
3: Two things. Number one, President Trump talks about things that just aren't accurate about everything from vaccines. We're gonna have one right away. It's gonna happen and so on. The point is that if the scientists, if the body of scientists say, that this is what is ready to be done, and there, it's, it's been tested, They've gone through the three phases. Yes, I would take it, and I'd encourage people to take it. But President Trump says things like, you know, everything from, that's crazy stuff he's walking away from now, inject bleach in your arm and that's gonna work. I'm not being a bit, I'm not being facetious, though. I mean, he's actually said these things. And now regenerant is the answer, that's gonna cure everything. There's 500,000 doses, we have got a couple, you know, we have a, more than a few million people, mm-hmm. um, you know. And- And so, and most of the, if you notice, most of the companies who are developing these vaccines are working, they're making real progress. I meet with four leading scientists at least twice a week in the beginning, four times a week, giving us the detail on what kind of progress is being made. And right now, they do the right thing. When they run into a serious problem, they halt the test. They don't continue until they figure out what the problem was. They're not there yet. And the most scientists say it's not likely to have a vaccine that would be available until the beginning of next year, into the, into the spring of next year. And in the meantime, what I worry about is the same thing with Regeneron, which is, which is a useful antidote, not antidote, a useful uh, tool. but. What's happening is there is no plan to figure out how to distribute it, how many, you know, we have 500,000, you know, uh, um, vials of it. Well, we don't have all the testing equipment. We don't have all the ability to get it to the people who need it. And what we should be doing now, and allegedly it's happening, but I've not seen it yet, nor are the docs that I've talked to seen it, there should be a plan when we have the vaccine,
2: how do we distribute it? And once we get it, if it's safe, it's, if it's effective, will you mandate? its use?
3: The answer is, depending on how clear – there's vaccines, they say, have a very positive impact and they're going to affect positively 85 percent of the American public. Or there's others say, this vaccine is really the key, This 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 is the golden key. It depends on the state of the nature of the vaccine, when it comes out, and how it's being distributed. That would depend on, but I would think that we should be talking about, depending on the continuation of the spread of the virus, we should be thinking about making it mandatory. How could you enforce that? Well, you couldn't. That's the problem. Just like you can't can't enforce measles. You You can't come to school unless you have a measles shot. You know, you can't, but you can't say everyone has to do this. But you would, just like you can't mandate a mask. But you can say, you can go to every governor and get them all in a room, all 50 of them as president, and say, ask people to wear the mask. Everybody knows. And if they don't, fine. And they don't? No, not fine. Then I go to every governor, I go to every mayor, I go to every councilman, I go to every local official, say, mandate the mask. Man, say this is what you have to do when you're out. Make sure you encourage it being done. Look. George, you and I know, and I think you do too as well, the words of a president matter. Absolutely. No matter whether they're good, bad or indifferent, they matter. And when a president doesn't wear a mask or makes fun of folks like me when I was wearing a mask for a long time, then it's, you know, people say, well, it mustn't be that important. But when a president says, I think this is very important, for example, I walked in here with this mask, but I have one of the M95 masks underneath it. I left it in in, in my dressing room, the room room I was in before I got here. Um, And so I think it matters what we say. And we're now learning that children are getting the virus, not with as, con- as serious consequences, but we haven't, th- there's been no studies done yet on vaccines for children. So there's a long way to go, but we can make progress in the meantime and save lives. And the last point I'll make, if you, th- if you listen to the head of the, uh, of the CDC, he s- stood up and he said, you know, while we're waiting for a vaccine, he held up a mask. If you wear this mask, you'll save more lives between now and the end of the year than if we had a vaccine, than if we had a vaccine. It's estimated by every major study done from the University of Washington to Columbia that if in fact we wore masks, we could save between now and the end of the year 100,000 lives. And avoid lockdowns? And avoid lockdown, yes. You don't have to lock down if you're wearing the mask. Let's
2: get a question on the economy. Anthony Thank you. I s- hope I answered your question. From Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. It's a suburb of Pittsburgh. Republican. I know it. For President Trump.
5: Thank you, George. Thank you, uh, Mr. Vice President. You stated that anyone making less than $400,000 will not see one single penny of their taxes raised. That's right. But also state that you are going to eliminate the Trump tax cuts. THE TRUMP TAX CUTS REDUCES TAXES FOR THE MAJORITY OF WORKERS. I WOULD ARGUE NOT ENOUGH. WHAT IS YOUR PLAN FOR EITHER EXTENDING THE TAX CUTS FOR THE MIDDLE CLASS OR CREATING A NEW PLAN THAT FURTHER REDUCES THOSE TAXES?
3: I CARRY THIS CARD WITH ME. WHEN I SAID THE the TRUMP TAX CUTS, ABOUT $1.3 TRILLION OF THE $2 TRILLION IN his TAX CUTS, WENT to THE TOP ONE-TENTH OF ONE PERCENT. THAT'S WHAT I'M TALKING ABOUT ELIMINATING, NOT ALL THE TAX CUTS that are out there. And by the way, if you just take a look, we reduced the corporate tax rate from 35%, and Democrats and Republicans we were in office thought it should come down to 28%. He reduced it to 21%. You have 91 out of every of the Fortune 500 companies not paying a single solitary penny. If you raise the corporate tax just back to 28%, which is a fair tax, you'd raise $1 trillion billion by that one act. If you made sure the people making over 400 grand paid what they did in the Bush administration, 39.6%, you would raise another, as goes up to, uh, let me get the exact number here, about another 200, excuse me, uh, $92 billion. So you can raise a lot of money to be able to invest in things that can make your life easier make you change your standard of living by making sure you have affordable health care, by making sure you're in a situation where you're able to send your kid to school, and if you have a student debt, you can deal with it, making sure that your, your home, you can pay your mortgage. You've got 20 million people
2: right now. Mr. President, let me press you on that, though. Sure. You're, you're going to raise the corporate tax. You're going to raise taxes on the wealthy. Is it wise to do even that when the economy is as weak as it is right now?
3: Another 900,000
2: people. That's, that's a great question.
3: Moody's did analysis of my detailed analysis of my tax plan and my economic plan. They said, I will in four years, Moody's, Wall Street, said I will create 18.6 million new jobs, good paying jobs, number one. Number two, and I'll increase, the GDP will grow by a trillion dollars more than would under Trump and seven million more jobs than under Trump. And the reason is when you allow people to get back in the game and have a job, everything moves, everything moves. Right now you got the opposite. You had last year during during this pandemic, you had the wealthiest billionaires in the world, in in, in the nation, they made another $700 billion. $700 billion. He talks about a V-shaped recovery. It's a K-shaped recovery. If you're on the top, you're gonna do very well. And the other thing I'm, and if you're in the bottom, or you're in the middle of the bottom, your income is coming down. You're not getting a raise. I, I, shouldn't, I don't know what you do. You may get a raise. hope you're a billionaire, I, but, 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 but all kidding aside, but it's about growing the economy. And George, the way out, the reason why I'm so optimistic about economic recovery, more than I've ever been, is we have these four crises happening all at once, and one helps the other. For example, we're going to invest a great deal of that money into infrastructure and into and, and a green infrastructure. We're gonna put 500,000 charging stations on new highways we're building and old highways we're building. We're gonna own the electric market. You know as well as I do from your days, you know, in the old days, where the president has, spends about $600 billion a year on government contracts. Everything from making sure they have aircraft carriers to, to automobile fleets for the, uh, in the United States. If you make make and we can and it's not violation of any international trade agreement, made in America. If you actually insist that whatever that product is made in America, including the material that goes into the product, we it's estimated we're going to create somewhere between another four and six million jobs just by doing that. But what's happening now? Under his trade policy, a lot of this is going overseas. You get a benefit from going overseas if you have much of it being made overseas. So if you send it overseas, you get a 10% tax increase on the on, on product. If you make it in America and you bring it back, you get a 10% growth. If you bring back a company and you're gonna open up an old, an old facility, you get a 10% tax credit for all you invested. That actually works, George.
2: So there's not gonna be any delay on the
3: tax increases? No, well, I gotta get the votes. I gotta get the votes. That's why, you know, uh, the one thing that I have, I have this strange notion, we are a democracy. Some of my Republican friends and some of my Democratic friends even occasionally say, well, if you can't get the votes by executive order, you're gonna do something. Things you can't do by executive order unless you're a dictator. We're a democracy, we need consensus.
0: Gotta take a quick break, we'll be right back.
3: I hope I answered your question
0: the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. This special edition of 2020 will return
6: in a moment. Welcome to Disney Plus. Are you ready? Drop in and explore the action, the adventure, and the originals. There's no limit to what you'll find. These are your worlds. So come on, dive deeper into the universes you love, wherever and whenever you want them. You will find them all here on Disney Plus.
7: Yes, mornings may look different these days, but where you start your day, where you spend
2: your mornings, where you get connected to everything that's happening.
8: And face it, there's a whole lot happening in our world these days.
2: Where you get all the breaking new information of the day to help you
7: navigate through these times. That's why we're here.
0: Good morning, sunshine.
8: And making sure you start your day off with a smile and some sunshine. Good morning, America. Good
7: morning, America. Good morning, America. Oh, how I love saying that.
4: me I know what happened and I'm not guilty. Why the fascination with criminal trials? Figure out what's really out there. She revealed she had murdered his family. I know in my heart they did this. It's the time of
0: suspicion. The ending's really tough.
4: You don't know whether truth is going to be difficult to find. Unless you try to find it.
0: It's being called the most consequential election of a lifetime. The most important vote. And with so much on the line, it demands the most straightforward news-making, real answers. The most informed voices from all sides. The countdown is on to the vote. What will our future look like? ABC's This Week with George. It all plays out right here every Sunday. The most consequential week yet of this hyper-political year. Right as you get closer to casting your vote, every Sunday on ABC. Who was John Lennon? Magical. Brilliant. brilliant daring.
7: Rebel. A working-class kid
0: from Liverpool. John was my favorite Beatle. If he hadn't dreamed so beautifully, it wouldn't hurt so much. Now, Friday night, new interviews with those who were right there with John Lennon. And his last interview, all on that day. Wild wow, as life this hope? The 2020 event. Yoko said, what I tell you now is top secret you can't ever tell anyone. John Lennon. His life, his legacy, his last days. Friday night on ABC.
1: What's the most innovative daily news podcast out there to listen to every day? Well, the Edward R. Murrow Awards say it's Start Here, the daily news podcast from ABC News. Even the New York Times calls us a top news podcast worth listening to. So if you like getting behind the biggest news stories of the day, inside all the details, the backstory, and what will happen next, then listen to Start Here, the daily news podcast from ABC News. It's like no other news podcast out there. Even the critics agree. Listen free on Apple Podcasts.
9: Now could be a good time to have another baby. Are you crazy?
8: I'm in love with you. Now that I said it out loud, it does sound weird. (laughs) Please stop. You were so
7: fine, I had to remind myself to breathe. Let's
1: do this.
6: How's your quarantine
3: going?
0: The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. From the Constitution Center in Philadelphia, here again, George
3: Stephanopoulos.
2: And welcome back to our town hall with Joe Biden. We're gonna get a question now from Cedric Humphrey. He's a student from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, progressive Democrat. Don't jump, Cedric. You look like you're way up
7: there. (laughs) I'll be okay. Thank you, George. And good evening, former Vice President Biden. Many people believe that the true swing demographic in this election will be black voters under the age of 30, not because they'll be voting for Trump, but because they won't vote at all. I myself have had this exact same conflict. So my question for you then is, besides you ain't black, what do you have to say to young black voters who see voting for you as further participation in a system that continually fails to protect them?
3: Well, I say, first of all, as my buddy John Lewis said, it's a sacred opportunity and right to vote. You can make a difference. If young black women and men vote, you can determine the outcome of this election, not a joke. You can do that. And the next question is, am I worthy of your vote? Can I earn your vote? And the answer is, there's two things I think that I care and I've demonstrated I care about my whole career. One is in addition to dealing with a criminal justice system to make it fair and make it more decent, we have to be able to put black Americans in a position to be able to gain wealth, generate wealth. And so you look at what they, that entails. It entails everything from Early education, that's why I'm supporting making sure that we in one schools, as you know, schools with the least tax base to be able to f- support their schools. I increased the funding for them from 15 to to, uh, to uh, $45 billion. That allows every teacher in that school to make up to 60000 bucks. and the problem now is they're leaving the schools. They're not there. We're short about a million and a half teachers, a million and a quarter teachers. Number two, every three and four and five-year-old will go to school. school Not daycare, school, and what all the great universities, including the one you've gone to, go to or went to. In fact, talks about in the last eight years, what's happened? What happens when you let them go to school? They make up rapidly the whatever, whatever, um, fail whatever shortcoming they had in terms of their education prior to that. They have not heard as many words spoken, et cetera, et cetera. What happens is that the studies show that 58% will increase by 58% their chance to go in all through uh, 12 years of school and going through successfully we'll also provide for the ability to bring in social workers and and school psychologists we have one school psychologist in America now for every 1,507 kids it should be one to 500 not just in, 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 in schools that are poor but in all schools because we learn that for example drug abuse doesn't cause mental illness mental illness causes drug abuse the failure to get hold of people and, and deal with their anxieties in addition to that I, I Provide for $70 billion for HBCUs for them to be able to have the wherewithal to do what other universities can do because they ha- they don't have the kind of foundational support they need. And so that would allow them, for example, like we did in our administration, the president allowed me to go down and we awarded a, a, a cybersecurity laboratory, uh, ability to compete for a cybersecurity laboratory. The federal government spends billions of dollars a year on universities because they are the best kept secret or where most of of the major inventions come out of. And so that school now will be able to produce young black women and men who are gonna go into a field of the future that's burgeoning, cybersecurity. And that's what that's what's gonna help a great deal. In addition to that, if you're a young man about to graduate or you graduated from school and you wanna own your first home or you're well, it's awful hard to get the money, in, depending on the background, where, where, where what your, your your excuse me, your economic background is to get a down payment. So, we're going to guarantee first term home buyers a $15,000. Down payment for first term home buyers. In addition to that, what all the studies now show, and I've been arguing this for a long time, is young black entrepreneurs are just as successful as white entrepreneurs or anyone else given a shot. But you can't get the money. Where do you go to get the startup money? So, what President Obama and I did, we had a program where we took a billion, five hundred million dollars and we invested it in all the SBAs around the country, in the state SBA, small business associations, and that generated $30 billion, came off the sideline, because if you have a guarantee of $200,000 for your new startup enterprise, young entrepreneur, you're gonna be able to attract, if it's government money, as a guarantee, you'll be able to attract another $100,000. It, it generated $30 billion. Well, I'm changing that program, and I'll get this done without much trouble, I believe, in the Congress, from uh, from 15, uh, $1.5 billion to $30 billion to 30000000000 billion. That'll take $300 billion off the sideline and grow because you know. And for example, if you in fact uh, and I were the same age and we split our differences and we were the same age and we went to the same builder to buy us each the same home, but my home was in a white neighborhood on one side of a highway and yours is in a black neighborhood, same exact home. Your home will start off being valued 29% less than my home, yet your insurance for that home will be higher. You'll be taxed more for it. We've got to end this. That's what got me involved in politics in the first place, a thing called redlining. We can change so much that we can do so much to change the circumstances to give people a real opportunity. Cedric, did you hear what you needed? I'm sorry. I was just saying, do you hear what you needed to hear? Uh, I think so. Okay. Well, there's a lot more if you want. to, If you're going to hang around afterwards, I'll tell you more. Okay, let's go. No, but I really mean it. It is the key. Look, this is the way every other. How, how do most like my dad? He lost his job up in Scranton. And it took him three years to be able to move down to Delaware to Claymont, Delaware, a little steel town, and sent us home to our grandpop to live with him. We finally got back. We lived in apartments, became six and eight housing much later. It wasn't. It was just normal apartments. And, but it took him five years to be able to buy a home. Well, we bought a three-bedroom home with four kids and a grandpop living with us, but it accumulated wealth. You build up wealth. That's how middle class folks make it. They build up wealth. Then he was able to borrow a little against that to be able to help us get to school, those kinds of things. It's about accumulating wealth. And there's very, you're behind an eight ball. The vast majority of people of color are behind an eight ball. And it's the same way what's going on now with all this money that's been voted. What's happened? You go to the bank, if you're a black businessman, and, I, and the president fired the only inspector general to see, over, oversee all this help coming from the Congress, and what happens? You go in and they say, uh, do you have an account here? No. Do you have a, do you have a credit card? With this? No. Have you borrowed from us before? No. We bail these suckers out. They're not liable for any of the money, but they still won't rent it. They still won't lend it to you. We've got to change that. It's about accumulating wealth.
2: Want to get another question in here from Angelica Polizaris? No, not at all. Garnet Valley, Pennsylvania, Hi. Republican who voted for President Trump last time.
4: Thank you, thank you, George. Thank you, Vice President Biden. Thanks to meet you. Um, what's your view on the crime bill that you wrote in 1994, which showed prejudice against minorities? Where do you stand today on that?
3: Well, first of all, things have changed drastically. That crime bill went and voted. The Black Caucus voted for it. Every black mayor supported it across the board. And it didn't, the crime bill itself did not have mandatory sentences except for two things. What, it had uh, three strikes and you're out, which I voted against in the crime bill, but it had a lot of other things in it that turned out to be both bad and good. I wrote the Violence Against Women Act, that was part of it, the assault weapons ban and other things that were good. What I, what I was against was giving states more money for prison systems that they could build state prison systems and you have 93 of every 100 people in jail now is in a state prison not in a federal prison because they built more prisons I also wrote into that bill a thing called drug courts I don't believe anybody should be going to jail for drug use they should be going into mandatory rehabilitation we should be building rehab centers to have these people housed we should wipe out we should we should decriminalize marijuana, wipe out the record so you can actually say in honesty, have you ever been arrested for mar- for anything? You can say no, because we're going to pass a law saying there is no background that you have to reveal relative to the use of marijuana. And so there's a lot of things, but in addition to that, we got to change the system. I joined with a group of people in, in the House to provide for changing the system from from punishment to rehabilitation. Along with a guy named Arlen Specter, who you may remember, I wrote the Second Chance Act. In the meantime, an
2: awful lot of people were jailed for minor drug crimes after the- Exactly right. Was it a mistake to support it?
3: Yes, it was, but here's here's where the mistake came. The mistake came in terms of what the states did locally. What we did federally, we said it was — you remember, George, it was all about the same time for the same crime. What I had done as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, I did — took the 10th Circuit Courts of Appeals, took some really brilliant lawyers working for me in judiciary. We did a study. And we determine what happens if for the first, second, third offense for any crime in the the criminal justice system uh, uh, at the federal level, if you're a black man, it's the first time you committed robbery, how long would you go to jail on average? If you're a white man, how long? Black man would go to jail on average 13 years, white man, two years. I go down the list of every single crime. So we set up a sentencing commission. We didn't set the time. Every single solitary maximum was reduced in there. But what happened was it became the same time for the same crime. So it said you have to serve between one and three years. It they ended up becoming much lower. Black folks went to jail a lot less than they would have before, but it it was a mistake. Let me ask another follow-up on the crime bill. It also funded 100,000 police back in
2: 1994. You've often said that more cops clearly mean less crime. Do you still believe that?
3: Yes, if in fact they're involved in community policing, not jump squads. For example, when we had community policing from the mid-'90s on till till, uh, um, till, um, uh, Bush got elected, what happened? Violent crime actually went down precipitous. Remember the significant rise in violent crime that was occurring in the late 80s into the 90s. It went down and fewer African-Americans were arrested because you had the requirement, the cops didn't like it, they didn't like the community policing because you had to have two people in the vehicle, they had to get out of their cars, they had to introduce themselves to who owned the local uh, liquor store, who owned the local grocery store, who was the woman on the corner. And they, what they would do, George, they'd actually go and give people their phone numbers. A cop would give the phone number. So if if Nellie Smith was on the second floor where drug deals took place and things happened uh, uh, below her, she, her apartment, she could call and say, "It's Millie, and there's something going on here." And they'd never reveal it was her because they know if she knew that, in fact, they report, they'd never report the crime. She'd never report. So it actually started to come down. What happened? They eliminated the funding for community policing. Community policing doesn't mean more people coming in and and up-armored Humvees and swarming like that. When they did, it turned out that by the time we got to the late 90s, the crime had come down so much, and the mayors and and everybody asked the question, where do you want me to spend the money? They say, well, only 1% thought violent crime was a problem. It was as high as 22%. Right now, we have a
2: systemic problem. How do you get the kind of policing, prevent the kind of policing... You
3: have to change the way in which they... One of the things I'm going to do, George, is what is set up a national study group made up of cops, social workers, as well as made up of the black community and the brown community to sit down in the White House and over the next. Year come up with significant reforms that need to take place within communities. You have to bring them together. One of the things I've observed is, you know, the neighbor I grew up I grew up in Claremont. Either became a cop, a firefighter, or a priest. I wasn't qualified much to do any one of them. But here's the deal. All kidding aside, most cops don't like bad cops. Correct. They don't like it. Correct. And so what happens is they get intimidated into not reporting. So one of the things we do is there has to be transparency available. We have to be able to do, go in at the federal level, be able to go in and say, check out whether or not there's systematic prog- problems within police departments. If in fact a cop is, uh, needs to be tried, it's not the prosecutor in the community, in, in the district or there, you gotta go outside the community to get another prosecutor to come in and handle the crime. There's a lot of things we've learned and it takes time, but we can do this. You can ban children. Calls, you can, But, you, but the, beyond that, you have to teach people how to de-escalate circumstances, de-escalate. So instead of anybody coming at you and the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot them in the leg. There's ways you have to do more background checks in terms of whether or not the person coming in passes certain psychological test. And the last thing I'll say, and I'm sorry because it was really, I think, really, really important is you have to be in a position where you are able to identify identify the things that have to change, and one of the things that has to change is so many cops get called into circumstances where somebody is mentally off, like what happened not long ago with that guy with the knife. That's why we have to provide, within police departments, psychologists and social workers to go out with the cops on those calls, those some of those 911 calls, to de-escalate the circumstance, to deal with talking them down, but we can't, cops are kind of like school teachers now. You know, a school teacher has to know everything from what, how, how, how to handle hunger in, in a household as well as how to teach how to read. Well, cops don't have that breath. And there's a lot of things we can do. We shouldn't be defunding cops. We should be mandating the things that we should be doing within police departments and make sure there's total transparency. Got to take another quick break. We'll be right back. I don't know if answering your question. But...
0: ABC News, straightforward. Tomorrow, get ready for an all-time high with all-time low, with an amazing performance for you. Tomorrow on Good Morning America's concert series, sponsored by Carmax. I know what happened, and I'm not guilty.
4: Why the fascination with criminal trials? Figure out what's really out there. She revealed she had murdered his family. I know in my heart they did this. It's the time of suspicion. The ending's really tough. You don't know whether truth is going to be difficult to find unless you try to find it.
6: Ready.
10: The team with the highest card total could be leaving Woo! with a hundred thousand more lives.
5: No! To shop.
10: Bam, bam,
5: bam! Till you drop. No!
6: Oh, mommy down! <laughs>
5: Leslie Jones hosts Supermarket Sweep, premier Sunday, October 18th on ABC.
10: This is what being live is all about. This is ABC News Live, the 24/7 streaming news source, from ABC News. Wow. Breaking news, live events as they happen, streaming live, non-stop straight to you. Original on the edge, breakthrough storytelling from ABC News, National Geographic, ESPN, all designed differently for you to stream straight to any screen whenever you want. Free and imagine the most celebrated epic Live events and moments, this is all playing out right before your eyes. See
1: those flames behind me? And
10: go deeper inside the groundbreaking exclusives from the campaign trail. Only ABC News gets. Watch ABC News Live right now and anytime. Streaming on Roku, Hulu, Facebook, and abcnews.com. ABC
7: News Live. Streaming
10: everywhere, right to you. ABC News Live.
6: The waters of the Outer Banks are unforgiving and full of riches for the fishermen who dare. The best of the northern fleet are heading south. But the locals know where the giants lie. And if you thought the waters were unforgiving, wait until the battle begins. Wicked Tuna Outer Banks. New episode Sundays at 9 on National Geographic.
0: With so much at stake, so much on the line, more Americans turn here than any place else. ABC News, World News Tonight with David Muir.
1: We have made it through another week together.
0: America's most watched program across all of television.
1: Welcome to Disney+. Plus. Are you ready?
6: Drop in and explore the action, the adventure, and the originals. There's no limit to what you'll find. These are your worlds. So come on. Dive deeper into the universes you love. Wherever and whenever you want them. You'll find them all here on Disney+.
0: Now, with so much on the line, ABC News, America's number one news, is right there for you, live on Hulu, with stories of strength, stories of hope. Because now, when it matters most, Hulu
1: has live
0: news. Hulu
7: has live news. Hulu has live news. And that news is ABC
1: News. ABC News Live on Hulu. ABC News Live on Hulu.
0: Watch the news you need. Thanks so much for streaming with us. Streaming to all Hulu subscribers right now. John Lennon, his life, his legacy, his last days.
1: Wow, there's life, there's
0: hope. New interviews and his last interview. The new 2020 event, Friday night on ABC. He shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint judges of the Supreme Court and all other officers of the United States. From the Constitution Center in Philadelphia, here again, George Stephanopoulos.
2: And the Supreme Court is our next topic. The questioner, Nathan Osborne of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Democrat. Hi, I'm George, Mr. Vice President. Hey Nathan. Our country's first Supreme Court gave its first rulings just two blocks from here, from 1791 to 1800, and it's become more polarized since then. Merrick Garland didn't get a hearing for all of 2016, and Amy Coney Barrett's being pushed through at the last minute, even though millions have already voted. So what do you think about ideas from um, people like Pete Buttigieg and others to put in place safeguards that'll help ensure more long-term balance and stability? And what do you say to LGBTQ Americans and others who are very worried right now about erosions of their rights and our democracy as a whole?
3: Well, let me start the last point, work my way back. I think there's a great re- reason to be concerned. I was on the road most of the time during these hearings, so I didn't hear many of them. I just got the recaps when I'd i you know, get in late at night from, I've been going around the country, Florida, and anyway. And uh, but um, my reading online, what the uh, what the judge said was, she didn't answer very many questions at all. And I don't even think she has laid out much of a judicial philosophy in terms of the basis upon which she thinks are there unenumerated rights in the Constitution and unless, so, number one. So I think there's re- great reason to be concerned for the LGBT community. Something i fought very hard for for a long time to make sure there's equality across the board. Number two, I think that also healthcare overall is very much in jeopardy as a consequence of the president's gonna go directly after this election directly to the Supreme Court within a month to try to get Obamacare wiped out after we've already, 10 million people have already lost their insurance from their employer and wants to take 20 million people out of the system as well, plus 100 million people with preexisting conditions. So there's a lot at stake. I don't think it's appropriate. I think the Constitution implies, there's no provision in the Constitution. My problem is i made a mistake in teaching constitutional law for 21 years and the separation of powers. The Constitution implies that the way the people have a right to determine who's gonna be on the court is how they vote for their senators and their president. We seek the advice and consent of the Senate and the the president's president. president for all
2: four years, isn't he?
3: No, he is, but once an election begins, by implication it is inconsistent with the constitutional principles, in my view. You get disagreement among scholars on this, but I believe it's inconsistent when millions of people already voted to put someone on the court. I think it should be should have been held until the next this election is over. See what the makeup of the Senate is going to be if the president won this, wins this election. He should be able. How to How about for that it. question of expanding the court? Here's what you said exactly one year
2: ago tonight at a Democratic debate. You said, "I would not get into court packing. I would not pack the court." That's not what you're saying now. Is the nomination of Judge Barrett reason enough to rethink your position?
3: What is the nomination, what I wanted to do, George, you know, if I had answered the question directly, then all the focus would be on, what's Biden going to do if he wins? Instead of on, is it appropriate what is going on now? And it should stay, this is the thing that the president loves to do, always take our eye off the ball. What's at stake? One of the things Pete has suggested is, and there's a number of constitutional scholars have suggested as well, that there are at least four or five options that are available to determine whether or not you can change the way in which the court lifetime appointment takes place, consistent, arguably, with the Constitution. I have not been a fan of court packing because I think it just generates what will happen. Every Whoever wins, it just keeps moving in a way that is inconsistent with what is going to be manageable. So you're road. still not a fan? Well, I'm not a fan. I don't say it depends on how this turns out, not how he wins, but how it's handled. How it's handled, but there's a number of things that are going to be coming up, and there's going to be a lot of discussion about other alternatives as well. Wait, well what does if, that mean? If, uh, how it's handled? How will that determine it? Well, for, you're for, the for example, if there's actually real live debate on the floor. If people are really going to be able to have a time to go through this, you know, I don't know anybody who's gone on the floor and just and you know, that's been a controversial justice in terms of making fundamentally altering the, the, the makeup of the court that's gone through in a day kind of thing. I mean, it depends on how much they rush this. And you think about it, George, here you got a lot of people not being able to pay their mortgage, not being able to put food on the table, not being able to keep their business open, not being able to do anything to deal with what's going on in terms of the economy as a consequence of COVID. And they have no time to deal with that, but they have time to rush this through. Well, right now, it looks like they're going to have a vote around
2: Halloween. So if they vote on it before the election, if they vote on it before the election, you are open to expanding the court? I'm open to considering what happens from that point on. You know, you've said so many times during the campaign, all through the course of your career, it's important
3: to level with the It is, but George, if I I say, no, no matter what answer I gave you, If I say it, that's the headline tomorrow. It won't be about what's going on now, the improper way they're proceeding. But don't voters have a right to know where you stand? They do have a right to know where they stand, and they'll have a right to know where I stand before they vote. So you'll come out with a clear position before Election Day? Yes, depending on how they handle this. But look, what you should do is you got to make sure you vote and vote for a senator who, in fact, thinks reflects your general view on constitutional (laughs) interpretation and vote for a president who think is more in line with you. And if you oppose the position that I I would not have appointed her, but if you oppose my position, vote for Trump. Vote for a Republican who shares that view. But that's your opportunity to get involved in lifetime appointments that presidents come and go. Justices stay and stay and stay.
2: We have a question from a Republican, Andrew Lewis. I would guess a disaffected uh, Republican. You cast a write-in vote for John Kasich in 2016. You're gonna vote
3: against President Trump this year. And John's writing in for me, by the way. I know that.
2: (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Mr. Vice President. President. I'm sorry. Mr. Vice President, my father, Drew Lewis, served as Secretary of Transportation under President Ronald Reagan in his first term. Oh, yeah.
3: I'll be darned.
2: And some of his closest allies and friends were Democrats, including House Speaker Tip O'Neill and Senator Ted Kennedy. Sadly, today, we have highly partisan and dysfunctional governance, and I believe President Trump is primarily responsible for creating this toxic environment. As president, how will you avoid the temptation to exact revenge? and instead take the high road and attempt to restore bipartisanship, civility, and honor to our democracy.
3: As written by a fellow who won the Pulitzer Prize for a book he wrote um, about the presidency, he said, you know, I doubt whether Biden is really Irish. He doesn't hold a grudge. Um, In politics, grudges don't work. They're not, they make no sense. I really mean it. I have never, and the, the second point I'd make is, everybody talks about yeah joe when you were a senator and a chairman of foreign relations or a chairman of judiciary you got a lot of things done you're able to cross the aisle but the days are changed when you're vice president you got a lot done but it can't happen anymore it can't we got to change the nature of the way we deal with one another and it starts off by the way your father was and tip was and others you don't question another man or woman's motive you can question their judgment but not their motive We we badly need an infrastructure bill. Well, what what happens? I stand up and I say, you know, we need an infrastructure bill, Senator. But I tell you what, you're in the pocket of the cement industry. But let's see what we can do. You can't get anywhere. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. I learned that lesson a long time ago. I've never, even when it's obvious on its face what the motive is, stick to the subject. And listen to the other guy. Listen. What I will be doing as if I'm elected president, the first thing, and not a joke, and you can ask if they tell you your dad's old friends on the Republican side, I'm gonna pick up the phone and call them and say, let's get together. We gotta figure out how we're gonna move forward here. Because there's so many things we really do agree on. And with Trump out of the way, the vindictiveness of a president going after Republicans who don't do exactly what he says gets, gets, gets taken away. There's going to be, I promise you, between four and eight Republican senators are, willing to, are going to be willing to move on things where there's bipartisan consensus. Last example I'll give you. You know, after, uh, we, uh, uh, the, after Trump had been elected, named the next president, wasn't sworn in yet, I've been working on a thing called a bill relating to cancer cures. Okay, and it was called the Cancer Moonshot, and I worked with a number of Democrats and Republicans, and we had a bill that was about nine billion dollars that made significant increases in research and development on cancer alternatives, NIH, and particularly cancer-specific cancer initiatives. And we only had, at the time, I think it was a 111 or 114, whatever it was, votes in the House. I don't hold any exact number, and we had fewer than 40 in the Senate. But after he was elected, I got those people together as vice president and we sat down and we worked it out. And we ended up getting to pass 396 votes in the House and, and uh, 94 votes in the Senate. And at the end of the day, because it had to do with the Biden cancer moonshot I've been working on, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell stood up and I was presiding officer and moved to name the bill after my deceased son, Bo, who had just died. So there is, there is, there are ways to bring this together. But how about the question of political
2: accountability? and Is there some tension between that and bringing people together? You know, Robert Mueller laid out a lot of evidence of possible obstruction of justice by President Trump. What would a
3: Biden Justice Department do with that evidence? What the Biden Justice Department will do is let the Department of Justice be the Department of Justice. Let them make the judgments of who should be prosecuted. They are not my lawyers. They're not my personal lawyers. So you're not gonna rule it in or rule it out? I'm not gonna rule it in or out. I'm gonna hire really first-rate prosecutors and people who understand the law like Democrat and Republican administrations have had and let them make the judgment. But turning this into a vehicle for your, as if it's your own law firm, you don't own that Justice Department. You pick the best people you can and you hope that what they're gonna do is they're gonna enforce the law as they see it. But can you remember any Republican president going out there or, or former Democratic president, go find that guy and prosecute him. Remember to hear that? Or by the way, I'm being sued because a woman's accused me of rape. Represent me, represent me. Personally represent me in the in the state of New York on my, not allowing my tax returns. What's that all about? What is that about?
0: Gotta take another break, we'll be right back. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years and together with the vice president chosen for the same term.
7: COVID-19 was a wake-up call. There are so many more pandemics that could be just around the corner.
0: Viruses literally travel through human populations. What we have got to do is go to those places where the virus begins its journey. Masks on? Yep. Masks on. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. This is the exact way in which a new virus could start.
6: Virus Hunters special event Sunday, November
0: 1st at 9 on National Geographic. With so much at stake, so much on the line, more Americans turn here than any place else. ABC News World News
1: Tonight with David Muir. We have made it through another week together. America's
0: most watched program across all of television.
7: Yes, mornings may look different these days,
2: but where you start your day, where you spend your mornings, where you get connected to everything that's
8: happening. And face it, there's a whole lot Happening in our world these days.
2: Where you get all the breaking
7: new information of the day to help you navigate through these times. That's
8: why we're here.
0: Good morning, sunshine.
8: And making sure you start your day off with a smile and some sunshine. Good morning, America. Good morning, America.
7: Good morning,
8: America. Oh,
4: how I love saying that. Hello? This is Montana Highway Patrol. You're looking for a couple of missing teenagers. That's right. When the night- Last seen in a red focus.
10: The steering wheel is getting stale.
4: Lock the door. We're fine. <laughs> be afraid.
8: Be afraid. Be afraid. Got ourselves a predicament.
7: When the night has come.
9: Cross my office up to this.
3: What if we three each other?
7: Please stop. you.
1: Yes! What's the most innovative daily news podcast out there to listen to every day? Well, the Edward R. Murrow Awards say it's Start Here, the daily news podcast from ABC News. Even the New York Times calls us a top news podcast worth listening to. So if you like getting behind the biggest news stories of the day, inside all the details, the backstory, and what will happen next, then listen to Start Here, the daily news podcast from ABC News. It's like no other news podcast out there. Even the critics agree. Listen free on Apple Podcasts.
10: Cards. Get set. Let's go. Get ready. The team with the highest card total could be leaving Ooh. with a hundred thousand more To shop. Bam, bam, bam.
5: Till you drop. Ah. Me down. <laughs> Leslie Jones hosts Supermarket Sweep, premier
9: Sunday, October 18th on ABC. Right now, at this defining moment in America, with so much on the line. We
10: gonna be alright, right?
9: we gonna be alright. From ABC News, Turning Point, the groundbreaking special nightline series. Taking over, taking on. This moment for America, my America, your America, our America. This is Turning Point, the special nightline series. Late night on ABC.
0: Now, when it matters most, the straightforward facts. ABC News is America's number one news. Number one in the morning. Number one in the evening. And the number one show on all of television. Number one in late night versus the competition. Number one in politics versus the competition. The number one daytime talk show. And number one in streaming news. Most trusted, most watched. ABC News is America's number one news.
10: Admit it. These days, what you need to know seems to change just about every day. What is it that you really want to know, need to
6: know? To help you not just get through your day,
10: but to make the most of it. Feel
6: smarter. Feel better.
0: Feel happier.
6: Well, how about a third hour of Good Morning America in the afternoon?
0: GMA3, what you need to know. Lunchtime at 1 Eastern, 12 Central and Pacific on ABC.
2: It's all about you.
0: From the Constitution Center in Philadelphia, here again, George Stephanopoulos.
2: And welcome back to our town hall with former Vice President Joe Biden. We're gonna look at the environment right now. We're gonna get a question from Michelle Elise from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a businesswoman, a social worker. You're a Republican who's voted for Democrats, but you're not sure what you're gonna do this time around. Correct?
10: Correct. Greetings, former Vice President Biden. Hello. Thank you, Mrs. Dahlhaus. Um, in a 2012 report of the University of Pittsburgh's Institute of Politics, fracking was discussed and its possible implications for the waterways from the Commonwealth to the Gulf. Fracking has made the population sick and, and killed wildlife in southwest Pennsylvania. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and small business development centers have already begun to transition people away from fossil fuels. What industries that are not harmful to human health and the environment are you planning for Southwest Pennsylvania and the nation?
3: Well, first of all, I uh, make it clear, I do not propose banning fracking. I think you have to make sure that fracking is in fact not admitting methane or polluting the well or dealing with what can be uh, small earthquakes and how they're drilling. So it has to be managed very, very well, number one. Number two, what we have to do is the future rests in renewable energy. The single fastest growing energy source in the world right now, because I'm going to say something that's going to sound self-serving, but I managed the Recovery Act and I was able to invest billions of dollars into bringing down the cost of the cost per BTU of of wind and solar. So now it's cheaper than coal, it's cheaper than oil right now, and it has great, great promise. And it's also the fastest growing employer in the energy industry. And so there are a number of things that I would do immediately. Number one, there are over well over 100,000 wells that are left uncapped in the region. Mm-hmm. We could hire 128,000 of these people who are working in the industry to cap these wells and get a good salary doing it now. Number one. Number two, we should be moving toward finding the new technologies that are going to be able to deal with carbon capture. So ultimately as a transition we moved from from to a net zero emission of carbon that we're still going to be able to use, if we find the right technology, some gases, some gas to be able to if we can carbon capture. And I think we're going to be able to move in a direction where by the year 2035, we'll be able to have net zero emissions of carbon from the creation of energy, energy creation. That so we can move it by dealing with those. And every time we talk about global warming or the environment, Uh, The president thinks uh, 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 it's a joke and I think it's jobs because what we're going to have happen is you'll be able to see now, as I started to say before, I as president are going to invest that $600 billion we spend in government contracts only on those things that in fact also are not only made in America but building an infrastructure that's clean and new. And what we have to do is focus on the transmission of energy across the country from areas relating to solar and wind. The reason is that they have not, that has not been mastered yet. I met a lot of people in Silicon Valley, the battery technology is increasing significantly, so you're gonna be able to have, for example, solar on your home and a battery, this by this by this, as I'm showing you here, in your basement, so when when, when the sun doesn't shine for five days, you still have enough energy. So we're making significant progress. The other thing we're gonna do is provide an awful lot of work, is estimated to put close to a million people to work by weatherizing four million buildings and two million homes because we'll save tons and tons of energy or like billions of barrels of energy over time and at the same time provide significant employment and a good union wages, prevailing wages. Let me stick on fracking for a sure. second. Uh, you said you don't you don't want to
2: ban fracking. As you know, it's an important issue here in Pennsylvania. Not everyone buys your denial. A member of the Boilermakers Local 154, Sean Stephanie, was quoted in the New York Times today saying, you can't have it both ways. He says, you can't meet your goal to end fossil fuels without ending fracking. What do you say to people like Sean, who doubt your denial because they think you, you want to keep that promise to end boiler fossil
3: Tell the Boilermakers overwhelm me, endorse me, okay? So the Boilermakers Union has endorsed me because as I sat down with them went in great detail with the leadership exactly what I would do, number one. Number two, what I would do is I would stop making, I would stop giving tax breaks and subsidizing oil. We don't need to subsidize oil any longer, number one. We should stop that and save billions of dollars over time. What I would also do with regard to, there's no, the difference between me and the new green deal, they say automatically by 2030, we're gonna be carbon free. Not possible So are
4: you
2: for it or against it? You say you're not for it, but in your website it says you call it a crucial framework,
3: the Green my, Deal. My, my deal is a crucial framework, but not the new Green Deal. The new Green Deal calls for elimination of all all non-renewable energy by 2030. You can't get there. You're going to need to be able to transition, George to be able to transition to get to the place where we invest in new technologies that allow us to do things that get us to a place where we get to net zero emission, including in agriculture. I've laid out a detailed plan. We should be taking the plan where we allow significant more land to be put in conservation, play deep rooted plants which absorb carbon from the air, and in fact, pay farmers to do it. We can do things like pelletize all the chicken manure and all the horse manure and cow manure and they can be and take out the uh, the, the methane and use it as fertilizer and make a lot of money doing it. For example, right now down in and in, in, uh, people when I say that they wonder what I'm talking about. The biggest carbon sink in the world is the Amazon. More carbon absorbed from the air diminishing global warming in the Amazon, then all the carbon emitted on a yearly basis from the United States of America, from all vehicles on all means. So we have to use our imaginations. We have to move in the direction as well, providing for electric vehicles. Electric vehicles will save billions of gallons of oil, create estimated, not me, Wall Street, one million automobile jobs. But what but we're lagging, we're not investing. We're not doing any of the research got to take another quick break we'll be right back
0: ABC news straight It's being called the most consequential election of a lifetime, the most important vote. And with so much on the line, it demands the most straightforward news-making, real answers, the most informed voices from all sides. The countdown is on to the vote. What will our future look like? ABC's This Week with George. It all plays out right here every Sunday. The most consequential week yet of this hyper-political year. Right as you get closer to casting your vote, every Sunday on ABC.
10: What is necessary for Chicago is a vision, actual solutions for the issues we face.
4: All people, all voices, one Chicago, united for all.
6: Welcome to Disney Plus. Are you ready? Drop in and explore. The action, the adventure, and the originals. There's no limit to what you'll find are your worlds. So come on, dive deeper into the universes you love, wherever and whenever you want them. You'll find them all here on Disney+.
4: Plus. Hello? This is Montana Highway Patrol. And you're looking for a couple of missing teenagers. That's right. The night. Last seen in a red focus. The
1: steering
10: wheel is getting stiff. Lock the door. We're fine. ourselves a predicament when the night has come. this is what being live is all about I can see. this is abc news live the 24 7 streaming news source abc news wow. breaking news live events as they happen streaming live Non-stop, straight to you. Original, on the edge, breakthrough storytelling from ABC News, National Geographic, ESPN—all designed differently for you to stream straight to any screen, whenever you want, free and imagine the most celebrated, epic live events and moments, all playing out right before your eyes. See
1: those flames behind me.
10: And go deeper inside the groundbreaking exclusives from the campaign trail—only ABC. News news gets. Watch ABC News Live right now and anytime. Streaming on Roku, Hulu, Facebook, and abcnews.com. ABC News Live. Streaming everywhere right to you. ABC News
9: Live. Now could be a good time to have another baby. Are you crazy? I'm in love with you. Now that I said it out loud, it does sound weird.
7: <laughs> I feel so, please stop when I see you were so fine. I had to remind myself to breathe. feel something
1: when I see you. Let's do this.
6: How's your quarantine going?
0: <sighs> now. When it matters most, the straightforward facts. ABC News is America's number one news. Number one in the morning. Number one in the evening. And the number one show on all of television. Number one in late night versus the competition. Number one in politics versus the competition. The number one daytime talk show. And number one in streaming news. Most trusted, most watched. ABC News is America's number one news.
8: Admit it. These days, what you need to know seems to change, well,
1: every day. So what can help you feel smarter, better, happier?
6: This is GMA3, what you need to know.
1: Lunchtime at 1 Eastern, 12 Central and Pacific on ABC.
3: Who was John Lennon? Magical. Brilliant. Darren. John was my favorite Beatle.
0: Now, new interviews with those who were right there with John Lennon. And his last interview, all on that day. Wow, there's life, there's hope. The 2020 event, John Lennon, Friday night on ABC.
2: Welcome back to our town hall with former Vice President Joe Biden. The next question comes from Mark Hoffman, Center Valley, Pennsylvania, conservative, who voted for Trump in 2016.
3: Welcome to Pennsylvania, Mr. Vice President. Good to be back home. I'm from Pennsylvania. Yes, I know. Scranton, right? Yep. So, peace is breaking out
2: all over the world. Our troops are coming home. Serbia is talking to Kosovo. And the Arabs and Israelis are talking peace, which I believe is a modern-day miracle, what's going on. Does President Trump's foreign policy deserve some
3: credit? A little, but not a whole lot. We find ourselves in a position where we're more isolated in the world than we've ever been. Our allies are. Uh, our goat alone our you know America first has made America alone you have Iran closer to having enough nuclear material to build a, a, a bomb North Korea has more bombs and missiles available to it we find ourselves where our NATO allies are publicly saying they can't count on us we're in a situation as well where in the Far East we find ourselves in in the in, in the in the western Pacific where we're isolated as well you have Japan and, and, uh, and, and uh, South Korea, at odds with one another, China, is making moves. So, I, uh, you know, I would say we find ourselves less secure than we've been. I do compliment the president on the deal with, uh, 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 with Israel recently. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, if you take a look, we're not very well trusted around the world when 17 major nations in the world were asked who they trust more, who's the better leader, and the president came in behind both the national survey, international survey, both behind Putin as well as um, uh, Xi. And look what Putin's doing. You know, you have Americans' bounties on American military's heads in Afghanistan. They have more people there now, by the way, than when I left, when we left in Afghanistan. And we find ourselves in a situation where uh, he's talked to Putin six times, hadn't said a word to him. And NATO is on the risk of beginning to crack because they don't doubt, they doubt our concern whether we're there. You see what's happening in everything from Belarus to Poland to uh, to uh, Hungary and the rise of totalitarian regimes in the world. And as well as this president embraces all the thugs in the world. I mean, he's best friends with the leader of North Korea, sending love letters. He he doesn't take on Putin in any way. And uh, he, uh, he is just, uh, he's, he's learned the art of the steel from the art of the deal by Xi and China. So I, I would respectfully suggest, no, there is no plan, no coherent plan for foreign policy. You know, we've always ruled, uh, we've been most effective as a world leader, in my humble opinion, not just by the exercise of our power, the most powerful nation in the world, but the power of our example That's what's led the rest of the world to follow us on almost everything. He's pulled out of almost every international organization. He gets laughed at when he goes to the uh, literally, not figuratively, when he goes to the United Nations. I mean, it's just not it's not about. The president, per se, it's about the nation and the lack of respect that's shown to us.
2: I want to get one more question in this segment, and it comes from Mika Hack. She's from uh, State College, Pennsylvania. This is your first presidential election that you're voting. Yes. Hi, Mika. How are you?
7: Um, I'm good. Thank you. Um, I'm the proud mom of two girls, eight and ten. My youngest daughter is transgender. The Trump administration has attacked the rights of transgender people, banning them from military service, um, weakening non-discrimination protections, and even removing the word transgender from some government websites. How will you, as president, reverse this dangerous and discriminatory agenda and ensure that the lives and rights of lgbtq people are protected under u.s law
3: I will flat out just change the law Every, eliminate those executive orders number one you may recall i'm the guy who said uh, i was raised by a man who uh, i remember i was being dropped off my, my my dad was a high school educated well-read man who uh, was a really decent guy, and I was being dropped off to get an application in the center of our city, Wilmington, Delaware, the corporate capital of the world at the time. And these two men, I'm getting out to get a, an application to be a lifeguard in the African-American community because there was a big swimming pool complex. And, uh, and these two men, well-dressed, leaned up and hugged one another and kissed one another. I'm getting out of the car at the light, and I turned to my dad. My dad looked at me and said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. The idea that an eight-year-old child or a 10-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I wanna be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It'll make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. And what's happening is too many transgender women of color are being murdered. They're being murdered. I mean, I think it's up to now 17. Don't hold me to that number, but it's it's, it's incredible. It's it's higher now, and that's just this year. And so I promise you, there is no reason to suggest that there should be any right denied your daughter or daughters, whichever, one or two, One. one, your daughter, that your other daughter has a right to be and do. None, zero. And by the way, my son Bo, passed away, was the Attorney General of the state of Delaware. He was the guy who got the first transgender law passed in the state of Delaware, and uh, because of a young man who became a woman, uh, who uh, worked for him in the Attorney General's office.
2: We've got one more segment coming up. Thank you. And I'm we'll proud
3: be right of
0: back. you. ABC News. Straightforward. With so much at stake, so much on the line, more Americans turn here than any place else. ABC News, World News Tonight with David Muir.
1: We have made it through another week together. America's
0: most watched program across all of television.
7: Yes, mornings may
2: look different these days, but where you start your day, where you spend your mornings, where you get connected to everything that's happening.
8: And face it, there's a whole lot happening in our world these days.
7: Where you get all the breaking new information of the day to help you navigate through these times.
8: That's why we're here.
0: Good morning, sunshine.
8: And making sure you start your day off with a smile and some sunshine. Good morning, America. Good morning, America. Good
7: morning, America. Oh, how I love saying that.
4: Hello? This is Montana Highway Patrol. You're looking for a couple of missing teenagers. That's right. When the night Last seen in a red focus
10: The steering wheel is getting stiff.
4: Lock the door. We're fine! <laughs> no! Be
8: afraid Be afraid Be afraid Got ourselves a predicament.
7: When the night Has come. Admit it. These days,
5: what you need to know seems to change, well, like every day. So, what can help you feel smarter, better, happier? Welcome to DMA3 What You Need to Know, the third hour of Good Morning America, lunchtime on ABC.
1: What's the most innovative daily news podcast out there to listen to every day? Well, the Edward R. Murrow Awards say it's Start Here, the daily news podcast from ABC News. Even the New York Times calls us a top news podcast worth listening to. So, if you like getting behind, Behind the biggest news stories of the day, inside all the details, the backstory, and what will happen next, then listen to Start Here, the daily news podcast from ABC News. It's like no other news podcast out there. Even the critics agree. Listen free on Apple Podcasts.
10: Or in your car. The team with the highest card total could be leaving Ooh. with a hundred thousand
5: to shop.
10: Bam! Bam! Bam!
5: Till you drop. Ooh.
6: Oh, mommy, down. <laughs>
5: Leslie Jones hosts Supermarket Sweep from your Sunday, October 18th on ABC.
6: Welcome to Disney Plus. Are you ready? Drop in and explore the adventure, and the originals. There's no limit to what you'll find. These are your worlds. So come on, dive deeper into the universes you love, wherever and whenever you want them.
10: You'll find them all here on Disney+. This is what being live is all about. This is ABC see. News Live. The 24-7 streaming news source from ABC News. Breaking news, live events, streaming non-stop. Original breakthrough storytelling from ABC News, National Geographic, ESPN. And it's all designed differently for you to stream straight to any screen whenever you want
7: news live streaming
10: everywhere right to you abc news live it's that easy to go there who was john lennon magical brilliant daring
7: rebel a working class kid from liverpool
0: john was my favorite Beatle. if he hadn't dreamed so beautifully it wouldn't hurt so much now friday night new internet with those who were right there with John Lennon and his last interview, all on that day. Wow, there's life, there's hope. The 2020 event. Yoko said, what I tell you now is top secret. You can't ever tell anyone. John Lennon, his life, his legacy, his last days. Friday night on ABC. (laughs) The Vice President and the People. A special edition of 2020. Here again george stephanopoulos
2: and welcome back to our town hall with former vice president joe biden the next question comes from kenan wilson narberth pennsylvania democrat
8: thank you good uh, good evening um, you say that you committed to entering this race after the events of charlottesville in 2017. i assume that that feeling that prompted you to run will not go away once the results are determined so hypothetically if you lose How will you use your platform to urge President Donald Trump and those rallying behind him towards the ideals of a more perfect union?
3: Well, to be very honest with you, um, I think that's very hard. He is not, things have not led themselves to him uh, learning from what's happened, what's gone before. Uh, Instead of uh, being chastened by Uh, being one of the few presidents, the only president to be impeached and then have a member of his own party vote to expel him. It emboldened him. So, but what I will do, uh, I will hopefully I'll go back to being a professor uh, at the University of Pennsylvania and making the case that I've been made and at the Biden Institute at the University of Delaware, focusing on, on uh, these same issues relating to what constitutes uh, um, decency and honor in this country. Uh, it's, it's the thing that got me involved in public life to begin with. As a kid, I moved from Scranton, where there were no African Americans, and moved down to Claymont, Delaware, and, and in Delaware, we have the 8th largest black population as a percent of population. It was an epiphany for me seeing what was going on, and I got deeply involved. I'm no great shakes, I don't mean I'm, I'm, I'm I wasn't John Lewis, I don't mean to imply that. But it's the thing that's motivated. My dad used to have an expression, for real. He said, everyone's entitled to be treated with dignity, everybody, and it was real. Everybody is. And so whether I'm a defeated candidate for president, in fact, teaching, or I'm elected president, it is a major element of everything that I'm about, because it reflects who we are as a nation. And it's what makes us—this is—every single solitary generation the dial has moved closer and closer, and more and more to inclusion. And we are a country that is a country of slaves who came here 400 years ago, indigenous people, and everyone else is an immigrant. And we're a diverse country. And unless we are able to treat people equally, we're we're just never gonna meet our potential. But I think the American people want to see that happen. I think they're ready to see it happen. That's and i tell you one thing, if I'm elected president, you will not hear me race-baiting, you'll not hear me dividing, you'll hear me trying to unify. And unify with, bring people together. When I said I was running because I wanted to unify the country, people said, well, they were the old days. We better be able to do it again. Agreed. We better Mr. be able to do it again. Mr. Vice President, if you lose, what will that say to you about where America is today? Well, it could say that I'm a lousy candidate. And I didn't do a good job. Um, But I think, uh, I, I hope that it doesn't say that we are as racially, ethnically, and religiously at odds with one another as it appears the president wants us to be. Usually, you know, the president's, in my view, with all due respect, has been divide and conquer the way he does better if he splits us, there's there's division. Um, And I think people need hope. I think, look, George, I've never been more optimistic about the prospects for this country than I am today. And I I really mean that. I think the people are ready, they understand what's at stake. And it's not about Democrat or Republican. If I get elected, uh, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I'm gonna be an American president. I'm gonna take care of those who voted against me as well as those who voted for me, for real. That's a presence too. We got to heal this nation because we have the greatest opportunity of any country in the world to own the 21st century, and we can't do it divided. One more break, we'll be right back.
6: Welcome to Disney Plus. Are you ready? Drop in and explore. The action. The adventure. And the originals. There's no limit to what you'll find. These are your worlds. So come on, dive deeper into the universes you love, wherever and whenever you want
9: them. You'll find them all here on Disney Plus. Right now, at this defining moment in America, with so much on the line,
10: we're gonna be all right.
9: From ABC News, Turning Point, the groundbreaking special nightline series. Taking over, taking on. This moment for America. My America. Your America. Our America. This is Turning Point, the special nightline series. We gon' be our... Late night on ABC. The waters of the Outer Banks are unforgiving. And full
6: of riches for the fishermen who dare... The best of the northern fleet are heading south. But the locals know where the giants lie. And if you thought the waters were unforgiving, wait until the battle begins. Wicked Tuna Outer Banks. New episodes Sundays at 9 on National Geographic.
10: The team with the highest card total could be
5: leaving Woo! with a
6: hundred
10: thousand dollars. eyes. To shop. Bam,
5: bam, bam! Till you drop. Woo!
6: Oh, mommy down! <laughs>
5: Leslie Jones hosts Supermarket Sweep. Premier Sunday, October 18th on ABC.
0: It's being called the most consequential election of a lifetime. The most important vote. And with so much on the line, it demands the most straightforward newsmaking, real answers. The most informed voices from all sides. The countdown is on to the vote. What will our future look like? ABC's This Week with George. It all plays out right here every Sunday. The most consequential week yet of this hyper political year. Right as you get closer to casting your vote, every Sunday on ABC.
9: Now could be a good time to have another baby. Are you crazy? I'm in love
8: with you. Now that I said it out loud, it does sound weird. <laughs> I feel something stop. when I see you. Please stop. You were so fine, I had to
7: remind myself to breathe. I feel something when I see
1: you. Let's do this.
3: How's your quarantine going? <sighs> know
5: what happened and I'm
4: not guilty. Why the fascination with criminal trials? Figure out what's really out there. She revealed she had murdered his family. I know in my heart they did this. It's the time of suspicion. The ending's really tough. You don't know whether truth is going to be difficult to find unless you try to find it.
0: Tomorrow, get ready for an all-time high with all-time low with an amazing performance for you. Tomorrow on Good Morning America's concert series, sponsored by CarMax.
2: And we are wrapping up our town hall with former Vice President Joe Biden. Mr. Vice President, as you know, President Trump had a town hall meeting tonight as well. Uh, During that town hall meeting, he was asked several times whether he took a a COVID test the day of your last debate. You're supposed to have another debate a week from tonight. Um, Just two quick questions. Do you expect that debate to happen? Will you demand that President Trump take a test that day and that it be negative before you
3: debate? Yeah. By the way, before I came up here, I took another test. I've been taking it every day the deep test, you know, the one they go both And because I wanted to be able, to, if I had not passed that test, I didn't want to come here and not, you know, expose anybody. And uh, I just think it's uh, it's just decency to be able to determine whether or not you are uh, you're clear. And it's not. I'm less concerned about me than the people. The guys at the cameras, the people working in the, you know, the, the secret service guys you drive up with, all those people. And so, yes, I uh, I, I believe he will do that. I, look, I'm gonna abide by what the commission rules call for. I was prepared to debate him remotely, which was supposed to happen. And he said he wouldn't do that. Um, you know, a virtual debate, uh, or a town hall, he didn't wanna do that. that. I didn't set those rules, the commission set the rules. So whatever rules they set, uh, and I'm, I'm confident that uh, the Cleveland Clinic is the one overseeing it, I think they're going to not let happen what happened last time. They're going to demand that it's safe. But you expect to be there? Oh, I'm be- I expect to be there.
2: Mr. Vice President, thank you for your time tonight. Thanked all the questioners here. It was really terrific questions. I think you did a service to our democracy tonight. Thank you very much. I want to go back to my colleague David Muir in New York.
5: All right.